there's this censorship resistance with the payment network. And so one of the things that, again, in the developed world, we don't think a lot about is if I want to send you money, I basically have too many options, right? I can hand you physical cash. I can Venmo you. Well, what happens if the government said you can't send Tom money? And sometimes they do that where they'll say, you know, Tom's a criminal. He, you're, you're not allowed to do financial transactions with him. I think generally as a society, we say there's got to be some rule of law. We agree bad people shouldn't be able to launder money or, you know, cr commit crimes with money, etc. But what happens if it goes from Tom's a criminal to Tom didn't work out today and Tom's been a bad boy in our society. And so now all of a sudden, Pomp, you can't send Tom any money. Well, what do we do then? Because all of the technology that we use would be exposed to that threat. And so this idea of censorship resistance, while I don't think most people around the world today are worried about their government saying Tom can't receive money because he didn't work out today. What we are worried about is, well, what happens when all of a sudden a, um, a dictatorship says to their citizens, you're not going to be able to get your capital out, right? Can, I'm actually a little more worried maybe than you are. So I am not a very controversial person by nature, but watching some of the controversial people get shut down where like Stripe is like, we won't even process your payment account. There are ways to really fuck with people now here in America. It, like it gets a little scary. I, I usually don't go too far down this rabbit hole only because uh, you end up in this weird world where everyone becomes a conspiracy theorist real quick. But, um, you know, in the last 18 months, a lot of the conspiracy theorists were just early, right? <laughs> they ended up being right about a lot of things. And um, it's unfortunate. Uh, it's not always the, that um, situation. But I do think that we are headed towards a world where we're understanding the more power that you give to governments, the more that they encroach on personal freedoms, individual liberties, etc. And the most extreme examples everyone can identify, and I think generally in the developed world, we point our finger and, and shake it and say, you know, they shouldn't do that, right? Um, but when you look here in the US, it's always that that could never happen here. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that there's people who fundamentally believe that it's gonna happen tomorrow because it's usually this like slow degradation of freedom. But if all of a sudden they shut people down from Stripe, okay. Well, there was just a guy who was in politics who Chase Bank shut down his account for reputation risk. This isn't somebody who was, you know, out saying crazy conspiracy theories, whatever. definitely politically controversial, whatever. But I think if you and I had to sit down and make a list of all the people who get, you know, financially censored or, or censored off social media, it's usually kind of the fringes of society, right? It's the people who, if I went home and I talked to my mom, she'd be like, eh, <laughs> you know, that person's a little crazy, right? These are people who are just involved in politics. And so I think that at some point you have to start to ask yourself, do I want to risk even being exposed to a system where it could happen? It's not saying it's going to happen. It's not saying I have some prediction as to when it happens. It's just why even subject yourself to that risk? And I think it goes back to this conversation around the best investors in the world, uh, for the most part, are actually not very risk tolerant. They don't want to go and take immense risk. Almost never will you see one of the best investors in the world say, I'm going to take 100% of all of my investable assets and I'm putting it on this one stock, cross my fingers and hope it works. <laughs> right? That just doesn't happen. 
Instead, they think a lot about risk mitigation. They try to figure out what are the ways that I can basically make investment decisions where there's lots of upside and there's very little downside. And so I think that as a society, we're learning now that's probably the pretty good way to think, right? It's a pretty good way to kind of position your life. And so if you're a content creator, don't go all in on only one platform. Why? You have platform risk, right? Build two or three different platforms. If you're a citizen with your financial life, don't go all in on one bank or don't go all in on one type of asset. Have some sort of durability to it. And so in the US, I don't think we worry so much about censorship, um, but in some crazy way, what is a sanction? The United States government runs around the world sanctioning countries. And they have reasons for doing it. In some cases, I think people would agree with them. In some cases, people won't agree with them. I'm not here to debate, should we do it, should we not? But the word sanction ends up being um, a marketing term. Censorship would sound a lot worse. Hey, we're right. gonna censor this country. There's a, um, a comedian, uh, and I wish I could remember who it is. I, I want to say it's Chris Rock uh, has a whole segment um, around the Iraq and Afghanistan war. And he said uh, the word insurgent was the greatest creation ever. He goes, I don't know any insurgents. Do you? No. All right. Kill them all. <laughs> right. He goes, but if we'd said, hey, we're fighting humans. Also, well, hold on a second. Well, what did they do? Are they good people? Are they bad? You know, there'd be questions or there, you would think differently about it. But when you use a terminology that is somewhat clinical in nature and, and isn't something that's part of the everyday vernacular, you just think differently about it, right? And it's just human nature. And so I think that uh, sanctions is another one that kind of falls in that of, oh, yeah, we're sanctioning these bad people. Sanction them, right? Like, what? Right. We're censoring people. Well, who are you censoring? Oh, we're cutting off an entire country's access to the global financial system. All of them? Or just the bad people, right? It, the everyday citizen, they get cut off too? Oh, well, maybe they don't get cut off, but maybe there's negative ramifications for them. A lot of nuance in the world, right? And so I think that ultimately we're moving more towards a world where uh, anybody can use this payment system. The idea of an open payment system is so foreign to us because of the system that we live in. But anyone in the world can plug into this open system and send value to anyone else without asking permission. If we sit here and we say, you know what? We shouldn't participate because there's some other country or some other organization that's gonna also benefit from it. We're actually likely to be the ones that get hurt the most by those decisions. Mm -hmm. When people hear Bitcoin, um, there's a lot of confusion because uh, the asset, the thing that you hold, the, the one of the 21 million units, uh, think of that as like a dollar bill, right? In terms of it's a unit of currency. Bitcoin, the network, is the payment rails itself. So more of like a visa. So I send dollars across Visa's network, right? In the legacy system. Here, what I do is I send Bitcoin across the Bitcoin network. So it gets a little confusing. Um, the, uh, the crypto community has never claimed to be great marketers, but great technologists. And so Bitcoin, the network, ends up allowing anyone to use it. So I'll give you a perfect example. Um, I invested in a company called Strike. And what Strike allows you to do is send any currency to anyone else in the world completely for free, instantaneously, and they do it without going through any banks. Now that sounds like a, a utopia, right? How, how, how the hell do you do that? What it allows you to do is, let's say that I have dollars in my bank uh, or in my account and you want euros, you live in Europe. I send $20 to you and my $20 ends up arriving to you, a $20 equivalent in euros, but have it instantaneously and nearly for free. How? What they're actually doing is they're taking the dollars, they're converting it to Bitcoin, they're sending the Bitcoin across the Lightning Network, and then they convert it back into euros. 
Now, the reason why that's so fascinating is if I now can send any currency, whether it's dollars, euros, Bitcoin, name your currency, across rails that allow for instantaneous settlement and near zero, if not zero fees, all of a sudden, I don't have to send large amounts. Your bank wouldn't let you take $20 out of the bank, right? Or $19 because you needed 20. Well, I can't go wire somebody $5, right? If I went to the bank, I said, I want to send a wire to Tom in Europe for $5. I said, well, the minimum is whatever. You got to pay a $25, $30 fee, all this stuff. Okay. If I wanted to Venmo you, but you're not on Venmo, Venmo doesn't communicate with Revolut or SoFi or Cash App or name your payment system. It's a closed network. So now what ends up happening is Strike can say, hey, anyone with an account can send money to anyone else plugged into this system. Tom has Tom's Lightning app, right? And you start signing up users, people from Strike can send money to people on Tom's Lightning app. Why? It's because it's an open payment system. 